I've expended a decent amount of force over the last six years, I think all would admit. Some like it, some don't. That's fine. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. I want you to ask yourself, who's the person who's most tested, most mature? I have more political maturity than anybody else on that stage. He who endures conquers. I am ready to beat Hillary Clinton. I want your support to do it. I'm David First. It's been a relatively quiet week between Christmas and New Year's, you know, aside from some fresh holiday attacks from Donald Trump. Chris can't win because of his past, and I don't believe you've heard the last of the George Washington Bridge. Trump there sharing the love on WMUR in New Hampshire, but uh, bringing the focus back to New Jersey. Coming up, the Star-Ledger's Tom Moran joins us to talk about the mess Trenton has become in the governor's absence First, though, we turn the clock back to consider Christie's time in high school and college. If Governor Christie were to be elected in November, it wouldn't be his first run as president. He was president of his class in 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grades. At the University of Delaware, he was president of his dorm, and then he was president of the student body. We start today with New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz taking a look at Christie's time in Delaware, and we're going to hear more from Matt after his report. He says college is when the political style of the ambitious and sometimes unorthodox candidate first began to take shape. Chris Christie did two things when he arrived at college in 1980. First, as he reminisced to students a few years ago, he partied. My 18th birthday was celebrated right here at the University of Delaware as I began my freshman year. Of course, the drinking age at that time was 20 in Delaware, so I couldn't drink too much. Um, Then, in his dorm room, he voted for the very first time. In 208 Harrington 8, I filled out my absentee ballot and voted for Ronald Reagan. Politics more than partying defined Christie's four years at Delaware. It was the only time he ever lived outside his home state of New Jersey. James McGee, his professor in a class on civil liberties, remembers an eager student with excellent analytical and writing abilities. He was one of the best students I ever had in constitutional law in nearly 41 years of teaching those courses. McGee and old friends remember how Christie forcefully argued his right-of-center positions. But he was more subtle than the governor who made a name for himself yelling at constituents and reporters on YouTube. His friend Ellen Feldman says she learned a lot from him. Watching him navigate how to get things done and understanding the lay of the land and having a goal set and figuring out how to do it by involving the right people and making sure you notified the right people and and just the way you spoke to people. He did that so well. Christie first joined student government as a lobbyist, traveling to the state capitol in Dover and to Washington, D.C. He organized opposition to President Reagan's proposed cuts to student loans. Then he ran for president of the Delaware Undergraduate Student Congress against a popular student. Christie put on a tie and campaigned hard. He secured a key endorsement from the student newspaper, The Review. Journalist Tobias Nagley was the editor. Chris had a much better handle on issues on how to deal with people and had a real organization behind him. They had signs and got out the vote kind of activity, and I don't think the other guy had much of that. His platform called for, quote, breaking out of old molds to solve problems. Christie built a coalition and asked the president of the Black Student Union, Kelvin Glimpf, to join his ticket. Glimpf says Christie wanted black support. That was probably his strategy. Like I said, he was pretty politically astute. And it worked. Well, we won. 
President Christie created an activities fee, 10 bucks per student, to help fund school groups. He pushed for the creation of teacher evaluations, and 30 years later, made those kinds of evaluations part of his education policy. And he spoke out against anti-Semitic and racist incidents on campus at the time. When Christie witnessed a white student direct a slur at black sorority pledges, he called for starting a, quote, movement of understanding, caring, compassion, and guts. He also became friends with Glimpf. He's very conscious about what was going on in the black community, getting advice from me and the perspective with things happening on campus, how did it affect us. This may not sound familiar given Christie's recent rhetoric in the presidential campaign. He's called for banning orphaned Syrian children from the U.S. and has accused the Black Lives Matter movement of inspiring cop killers. But as governor, Christie has been inclusive, nominating a Muslim American and a gay black man to top posts. That's an echo of his college days, when Christie created a diversity committee and appointed a gay student and a woman's rights activist to it. Nagali said Christie was always trying to understand the other side. The idea being that you've got to expose people to other ways of life, and that should be part of what their university experience is. One of the students Christie appointed to the diversity committee was named Mary Pat Foster. He put her on his ticket when he ran for student body president. But it was here at the Deer Park Tavern near campus that Christie noticed her on the dance floor in a new way, and they started dating. Mary Pat succeeded her boyfriend as president. A year after that, they were married. Their 30th anniversary is March 8th, a week after Super Tuesday. New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. And uh, Matt joins us now to talk about his reporting. Uh, Welcome back and Happy New Year. Thank you, David. Happy New Year. There's a lot of great history in this story, but was there anything else that you wanted to get into this that you just couldn't quite fit? Yeah, I spoke to uh, uh, several people that I didn't have uh, room for in the story. I talked to uh, someone who was the dean of students, and he said that Christie was uh, one of the most exceptional students he had ever dealt with in his time. I mean, this is a dean of students who would have dealt regularly with the student body president, and he told me that Christie was just extremely engaged. And that was consistent with what I had heard from his friends and other people who served on student government. Like, Chris really knew how to talk to adults. He was a very uh, accomplished president in that he was able to get a lot of stuff done. It was very consistent people talking about how just like how hard he worked and how he just seemed to like know how to do the job almost intrinsically. When you're walking on campus, do you see any signs of Chris Christie's time there? Yeah, there's no uh, bust of him in the quad just yet. I guess he'll have to <laughs> he'll have to become our 46th president before that happens. However, um, it was interesting to walk around and sort of uh, get a sense of what it must have been like for him 35 years ago there. There were several people who told me they didn't recognize the guy who you know y- yells at constituents and reporters and teachers that they've seen on TV over the last six years. Like, that was not his temperament. I was able to find, though, one quote in the student newspaper when he was a lobbyist, a student lobbyist. He had personally lobbied Delaware Senator, then Delaware Senator Joe Biden um, in Washington, D.C. He had set up phone banks so students could call congressional offices. This is all in opposition to um, some cuts in student aid that uh, Ronald Reagan was pursuing. And he had told the newspaper, our goal is to tie up the switchboards. And then after 
that didn't happen after only like a few dozen students came to his phone banks to tie up the switchboards in Washington, D.C. He was so angry. He said the response was goddamn terrible. That was the quote in the paper? Yes, that was the quote in the paper. Little bit of a flash of the uh, Christie (laughs) anger there, which I thought was really interesting. Also, when he was running the campaign, there's so many parallels to the kind of campaigns he would run as an adult. First of all, he devoted a good amount of time, it seemed, to trying to get the endorsement of the student newspaper, the Review. And Christie, as we know from all kinds of history, including how his staffers worked so hard to get the endorsement of a certain mayor in a certain town in North Jersey, which led to a certain scandal called Bridgegate. He actually worked really hard to get the endorsement of the student newspaper, the review, similar to how he worked so hard to get the endorsement of the New Hampshire union leader, the biggest newspaper in New Hampshire for his current presidential run. And the endorsement in the review helped to lead him to a victory over what everybody told me was a more popular student. And he won with more than 60% of the vote. Hearing about the uh, organized opposition to President Reagan's proposed cuts, uh, I, I can just hear the rhino comments flying now. Oh, sure. And he also implemented a tax, by the way. When he was president, he introduced, implemented a $10 per semester student activities fee to help fund school groups. But he put it on the ballot, so he allowed students to vote on it. So it was a little more uh, democratic than, you know, implementing it by fiat. Um, But it passed by a five-to-one margin. And when he created teacher evaluations for students, he quoted none other than John F. Kennedy to make his case. In your report, you talked about his successful campaign running for the Delaware Undergraduate Student Congress. And we heard that he had quote, a real organization behind him for that run. First of all, how do you inspire a crew of students to to help you run for a gig like that? Somebody told me that he had a really good ability to read a room and work people, that he had a presence slash arrogance beyond his years. So he appeared to be just very good at building Uh, what we would now call coalitions. Okay, I I hate to almost even ask this, but uh, any New Year's resolutions for 2016? I resolve not to promote my book via Twitter more than once a day. I'll keep (laughs) the uh, pathetic self-promotional tweets to just a daily thing, I promise. All right, then, let me do it for you. Matt Katz covers Governor Christie for New Jersey Public Radio and WNYC. His book... American Governor Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption comes out January 19th. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks, David. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. Governor Christie was a pretty busy guy in 2015, but a huge chunk of his time has been spent out of the state. But that didn't stop him from criticizing Senator Rubio on the campaign trail this week for missing a vote on an end-of-the-year spending bill. Only in Washington could you have the guts to stand up and say, I'm against something, that you have a vote to vote no on, and then just not go. And then put out a press release after it gets passed and say, this is why I was opposed to it. Well, dude, show up to work and vote no. Some would argue it also takes a certain amount of guts to criticize someone for not showing up for their job when you're away as much as Christie. According to our latest stats, he spent all or part of 60 percent of the days of 2015 out of New Jersey. 
Tom Moran argues his absence is contributing to what he calls a perfect storm of paralysis in Trenton. Tom is the editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger, and he joins us now to talk about his latest column. Tom, welcome back. Thanks, Dave. Now, Tom, in your piece, you talk about this perfect storm. You know, uh, Christie is away, plus he's unwilling to do anything in New Jersey that might not please the national Republican base during primary season. Meanwhile, Democrats in New Jersey are scrambling to position themselves for the next governor's race, mix it all together, and nothing of significance is getting done. Is that a fair characterization? Yes, I'm sorry to say that's about it. As Tom Byrne, who used to be the state chairman and is the son of Governor Byrne, said, it's frustrating. Everyone I talk to about state government feels the same way. There's no sitting around and knocking heads together to get things done. That knocking of heads that you're talking about, is that Christie's job? Well, I think I wouldn't. I don't put this all on Christie. I put it about half on Christie. I think the Democrats also are scattering in different directions, and you know they shouldn't need parental supervision to do the right thing. But opportunities were missed here. The big one is casino development in North Jersey. You're talking about four to five billion dollars worth of investment in a state that sorely needs it. And the two sides that can't seem to compromise in the Assembly and in the Senate are both Democrats. So can't blame Christie for that. If he were in town, he would probably be banging heads, but. You know, you can't put it all on the parent. Steve Sweeney, the Senate president, and Vinnie Prieto, the assembly leader, should be able to sit down and make an agreement on casinos. Uh, They also passed another amendment guaranteeing full pension payments to all the public workers, which New Jersey can't afford right now. Beware. And here's what's coming down the pike now. The president of the Senate yesterday said he wants to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot to require constitutionally pension payments to be made. I want you to understand what this is going to mean. This is a $3 billion tax increase on 90% of the state to benefit his political patrons who amount to 10% of the state. There's a second big one, a constitutional amendment on voting rights that would do very simple, uncontroversial to most people things like allow more early voting and expand voting hours and automatically register people as they register their cars. And, you know, the Democrats, again, disagreed amongst themselves about that. The Black uh, Caucus insisted on adding to this provisions that would allow felons who are released from prison to vote, and some wouldn't go along with that. So those are two big things that you can't really directly blame Christie for. Maybe he could be here to straighten them out. But these are Democratic mistakes, too. How much of a ballot battle are we potentially um, heading towards this year in terms of winning over the public one way or the other? I think that the pension one is the one that will really move money in this election. The unions will all spend a lot of money on that. If they come to an agreement and there's a Second Amendment about casinos, that will draw a lot of money, too, on both sides, because you have casino developers uh, who want to build these casinos, and you have casino owners in the nearby states who are going to spend a lot of money to oppose it, because it works to their disadvantage. You know, and then you have the people around Atlantic City who are worried about this and will oppose it as well. So I would say both on casinos and on pensions, you're going to see a ton of money spent on both sides. So those are going to be very hot issues. So, Tom, how do we move on from this? The most pressing thing is transportation. We're now six months from bankruptcy in the Transportation Trust Fund, when they'll actually have to halt the bulldozers. That's got to be solved. And keep in mind, Christie has to come back to New Jersey to give a state-of-state address next month and to give the budget address in February. So he has to come up with a plan. And you have to wonder, the most likely plan for transportation, unfortunately, my guess is, they will agree to increase the gas tax, but they will agree to cut other taxes to an equivalent degree. That would allow Christie to keep his campaign promise that he signed the pledge saying no net tax increase. 
The problem is the most likely tax they're going to cut is inheritance and estate tax. So you're talking about a deal where the middle class gets whacked with a gas tax increase and the richest, you know, 2% or so gets a big tax break to compensate for that. The the rest of the stuff, I think they'll just kick down the road as they've done for years. And so next year or the next governor is going to have an even tougher hole to dig out of. And that means tax increases and meaty spending cuts in core areas like education. If Christie signs on to a gas tax during this primary season, uh, you know, someone like a Donald Trump who hasn't been exactly shy about criticizing the governor lately, what's his response going to be to something like that? Right. And this would come, keep in mind, you know, right as if Christie's hope is to really get a bounce out of New Hampshire and to follow that up with a gas tax hike is going to be tough. So that's his problem, I suppose. He has to deal with the fact that what the national Republicans want and what New Jersey needs are two different things. So he's going to have to make a choice. Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Happy New Year, Tom. Okay to you too, Dave. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione and thanks to NPR's Brett Neely for editing Matt's feature. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker Podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00. That is Matt, K-A-T-Z, or Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First, and hey, Governor, do you have any New Year's resolutions? I have something better to do. I have to rearrange my sock drawer tonight. (laughs) 